Well, good morning, everybody. As you uh, make your way back to the seats, uh, we're so excited to be able to uh, share this time with you this morning. If you are new with us, again, welcome. Um, if you've been with us for many times, welcome back home. We're so glad uh, to be able to worship God with you through uh, his word, through worship, through song, through communion, through giving. Um, and so as we get ready for what God has for us, as we close out our Arrow series called Living Towards the Target and the idea of focusing on what God wants for our families, I would ask that you would join me uh, in a word of prayer as we dive into God's word together. Father, we thank you so much that you are here in this place, and I thank you for each and every person that is here with us this morning, whether it's their first time or they've been here for a long time. God, we recognize that you have them here for the right time this morning. I pray that uh, you'd be with those who are listening online later, and that everyone who hears my voice knows how deeply loved by you they are. And God, I pray that that would permeate each and every one of our lives so that we could live towards the target of living for you. So God, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a powerful, personal, impactful way to each and every one of us as we hear what it is that you have, that you want us to learn and grow and be encouraged with. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so as we are getting ready to conclude our series talking about uh, arrows, um, living towards the target, what I want to do is start with an, uh, an illustration that perhaps uh, it's not directly connected to arrows, but it does talk about the idea of a bullseye, which is our, our uh, sermon title today. So there's a, um, there is a rifleman from uh, the U.S. Olympic team. And his name is Matt Emmons, and Matthew Emmons. So his picture should be coming up here. Um, that was him, and he uh, has been to multiple Olympics. And very well-known, very good, um, just one of, the, one of the best shooters that they had. And so what happened is in 2008, we have a picture of him shooting in 2008. And, and as he's shooting that, um, or as he's there, he was in a point where there was a three-prone, or sorry, a three-position rifleman event, which means one position is standing, one is kneeling, and one is laying prone or laying on your stomach and aiming for targets. Well, he was someone that... He was uh, in second place, and then with his first shot, there was a 10-shot round in the final part of the event. He ended up with his first shot scored high enough to be in the gold medal position. And so as he's in the gold medal position, all he needs is a mediocre score of 6.7. This isn't an event when uh, hitting the target, anything below 8 is considered amateurish. And so it's one of those where all he needed was a 6.7 in order to win the gold. And so what he does is he talks about how he lines up his sights, and what he does is he focuses on the bullseye, he lines up, he aims, and he waits for it to get down right to where it's centered, and then he fires. Well, what happens at this time is that he says this. He's like, I did my pre-shot routine, and I remember as I'm looking through my sights, setting from 12 o'clock down into the bullseye, I get this calm feeling, and he says to himself, we got this, we trained for this. And then, as I'm doing this, I put my finger on the trigger, and I twitched just a little. And because he was lining up to the 12 of his bullseye, because he was lining up earlier, that just a little bit of a twitch resulted in a score of a 4.4. He went from being in the gold medal position to getting fourth place, just off of the medal stand. And it was this moment we have a picture of him being consoled by his wife, Katie, that it was just this moment of... 
all the pressure that comes to the Olympics. Like I can't watch, like figure skating is the worst for me to watch. Not because I don't appreciate things, but the moment that anyone like stumbles or they do like a triple sow cow or blah, whatever, and they like stumble, they fall, and you just know, oh my gosh, your entire Olympic dream is over. And you just feel so bad for them. Um, so like all this empathy in me just is like, I can't watch them. Gymnastics is hard too. Anyways, so the idea of an Olympian who's you know, been to Olympics but had this moment that he had lined things up, he had his sights on his bullseye, he was aiming towards the target, and all it took was a little twitch, and it missed the bullseye, and it missed the target. And many of us, when it comes to this idea of arrows living towards the target and this idea of God's target for us in relationships, we want to aim for it. We, want, we know what the target is. We know that we want to focus on it. And sometimes we can line it up in our sights and things seem like they're going well. And all it takes is a little misstep, a little twitch. Maybe it just takes us being short with our kids. Maybe it means that we're so tired after work that we're not ready to invest and we miss the target. Maybe it's something where we have grown kids and, and we want to still invest in them, but maybe they're at a point where they're trying to create their own independence. And so we try and we try, but then it is re- was pushed aside or rejected. And so we miss the target. Maybe we don't always have an opportunity to invest in our grandkids or our, our nieces or our nephews if we don't have our own kids. And so we, we try, but in the end of it, we might have the idea of what we want to do. We might aim towards the target, but if we're not careful we can miss the bullseye. And here's the thing. There is grace when it comes to when we're aiming towards the right target. God does not expect our perfection always and every single time. The problem can be if we start aiming at the wrong target, and we'll hit on that in a little bit later. But as we've been using this idea of arrows for our family series and comes from Psalm 127, 3 through 5a, and we'll read it. We read it every week. We're reading it again. That children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. With that idea of children being arrows, looking at our family life, we want to talk about what does the bullseye look like? Because again, our bullseye that we're talking about is is this idea of a redemptive legacy. And we're going to be in roof chapter four this morning for our service or for our sermon. And I looked into it, the, the etymology or the origin of the word bullseye or the term for it. And there's some kind of different mindsets or it's different ideas, but kind of a general consensus for why it's called a bullseye is that archers in the olden days um, would use a skull of a bull and that they would aim for the eye socket um, from the skull. And so they would try to aim right into the eye of the bull, the bullseye. Uh, One of the ones I saw, I just made me laugh because it said it was people after church were doing that. And I'm just like, oh, well, that's a good activity. Hopefully they weren't, uh, you know, picturing the uh, unfortunate, you know, pastor and sermon. So anyways, uh, we'll just keep going. So, um, Here's the bullseye, the redemptive legacy, what it is that if we're setting our sights on, if we aim for this target, even if we twitch and we miss a little bit, if we're still aiming for it, God can bring redemption. Even when in our family lives we say, oh, I wish I had done this differently when my kids were growing up. Even now, if we say, I wish I was closer to my grown adult kids or with my grown adult siblings as we have grandkids now, I mean, all these generations, we can start to recalibrate and set our sights on the right target. So that even if we miss, we're still going in the right direction. The problem, as we'll hit on later on, is when we aim for the wrong target. But our main point today is the idea that living towards the target is leading our families towards Jesus. 
and then leaving a redemptive legacy for future generations is the bullseye. That if our focus with our kids growing up or even investing in grandkids, or if you don't have your own kids, investing in nieces and nephews or even spiritual children, people who you can invest in in the faith and put a redemptive legacy into the generations to come. That no matter what kind of family situation you are in, we have the opportunity to try to point those we love towards Jesus. And then if we could instill the beauty of a redemptive legacy that goes beyond just our family unit, but to our kids, kids, and our kids, 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 on and on to the generations. That's the bullseye. That's the goal. That is our hope. And so as we are in Ruth chapter 4, We're going to be uh, on page 413 in the church Bible. If you brought your own Bible, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 4. I'm going to summarize a bit of it, and we're going to read a little bit more around verses 9 or so. But as we look inside of our notes there, we have the redemptive legacy, and it's the story of Naomi and Ruth. Sorry, the renewed legacy. I apologize. Renewed legacy, the story of Naomi and Ruth. And as you're turning there and as you're filling that in, I just want to give a brief synopsis of the story of Ruth and Naomi. So Naomi had two sons. Uh, both her sons ended up dying. And so she had two daughters-in-law, of one of which was Ruth. And because Naomi knew that she wasn't going to be able to have other kids or other sons for these daughter-in-laws to keep the family line going, she releases them and says, you can go ahead and go and, and find your own husbands and, and be able to invest in your own family. And so one of the daughters does go, daughter-in-laws, but uh, Ruth ends up staying there. And so she says, wherever you go, I will go. And she has this beautiful loyalty and and compassion and kindness. And it's amazing, like, you know, we've all heard the word ruthless. We think that's like someone without kindness. And yet here we are in the story of Ruth looking at great kindness. And we see where that word comes from. So this idea of being able to show this great kindness towards her mother-in-law. Now, We see here in our notes this idea that Ruth's family had brokenness and pain, just like ours. In our notes, there's Ruth's family had brokenness and pain, just like ours. That again, to give some background, Ruth was was from from Moab. She was a Moabite. And so the Moabite women, they came from the descendants of Lot and his daughter from Genesis 19. And the Moabite women were ones that would often lead the Israelite men astray through sexual immorality and idolatry that we see in Numbers 25. That the Moabites believed in Shamash, and Shamash was a god who was worshipped specifically through child sacrifice. And so that, that's how people would think that they had to worship, that they would sacrifice their children unto this idol, Shamash. And so in other words, she came from a background that was messed up, that had a lot of false beliefs, that had a lot of horrible influences on people around, and that was celebrated. It was something that was rejoiced to be able to worship God this way or to um, have this lifestyle that was far from what God would have wanted for his people. And so we see that the Israelites were warned not to marry foreign women or to marry into foreign cultures because of the proclivity for us to be able to fall into idol worship. And so we see here that the Moabites were people that had had this impact. And so Ruth had brokenness from coming from a a belief system that, that was something that was far from God, from coming to a place of pain in which her husband had had died. And so she's not sure what the next step looks like in her life. 
And so she came from brokenness and pain. Her family had that just like ours does. And so we've talked about this early on in our first week. We talked about generational captivity. And maybe for some of you, your family has patterns of divorce, of alcoholism, of addictive behaviors, of sexual abuse, of poor marriages, of children running away, of pregnancy out of wedlock, of mistrust of authority, of family tensions or sibling rivalry or any numerous other ideas that you just see. They're patterns that have been passed down from different generations. And We talked about this in our first week, that we are all products of our family's past, but we do not have to be prisoners to it. God is the one who can bring us into his family, redeem us, and then change us to be able to have the kind of redemptive legacy that he's called us to have. So if any of you see these patterns and you've experienced them or your families have experienced them, then know that this is not the end of the story, that there is hope for each and every one of us. And... Pete Scazzaro from Emotionally Healthy Spirituality talks about this. He says, I have not met anyone who wants to carry the weight and pass on their unfinished sins and baggage to their children and their children's children. This idea that when we can stop and look at the patterns that have been developed in our families, we don't want to pass those on. We don't have to pass those on. That you and I, we could be the one who continues a legacy of redemption, or you and I can be the ones that change that legacy towards the redemption of Jesus Christ. That there is hope for each and every one of us. So Ruth's family is a family of brokenness and pain. Ruth needed, in your notes, a redeemer to create a new legacy. Her legacy needs to be renewed because of the death of her husband. There was no legacy coming, and Naomi was going to grow up without anyone to follow the name, or sorry, to continue the name and to follow in uh, the family's footsteps. In the book of Ruth, the word for redemption, redeemer, or um, redeem is used over 23 times in the book of Ruth alone. It's only four chapters long. That the concept of redemption is so powerfully and so pervasively in this book that that we pay attention to it. And so in order for Ruth to be able to have a legacy that could be renewed, there needed to be something called a kinsman redeemer or a guardian redeemer, based on whichever version of the Bible you have. And, and so let me explain a little bit of what it is, um, and then let me explain how it's fulfilled in this passage. So in the story, Ruth tells Naomi in Ruth chapter 2 that there was a man that, she, that was kind to her who owned a field and allowed her to pick up, uh, to thresh the weed and be able to get uh, the food from there. And so Naomi asks who it was and says, it's Boaz. And she says, well, Boaz, is, he's a guardian redeemer. He's a kinsman redeemer for us. And so go to him. And so in chapter 3, it's her as a widow going to Boaz and asking if he would redeem her. This question of saying, would you be the kinsman redeemer for me? And what did a kinsman redeemer do? It redeemed property for the name. So someone would come in on behalf of that person and say, I will redeem this person and I will redeem any property that is owed to them. I will pay for their property so that it is now my property to be carried on in their name. And that, that is then also... The idea that they would redeem through a bloodline. They would redeem by having children to be able to propagate, not this person's name, not the redeemer's name, but the name of the one who is to be redeemed. 
And so it was a very selfless act because it cost money in order to buy the land. And it also meant that your name, your lineage would not be carried on as well as the one that you are redeeming. So we see this taking place in Ruth 4, 1 through 4. I'm not going to read it all, but Ruth 4, 1 through 4 shows how Boaz recognizes that there is another guardian redeemer, a kinsman redeemer who is closer, who in other words has a, um, a stronger claim to be the redeemer for Ruth and for Naomi. And so he goes to this person and he says, you know, if you, w- if you would choose to be the kinsman redeemer, then you can buy this land. He says, I will redeem it. So verse 1 through 4 shows how he's willing to redeem the land. But then verses 5 through 8, this is when Boaz says, but you will also, when you buy the land, you will also become the husband of Ruth. And then you will be able to propagate this kinsman line. You'll be able to continue the line of the one who is to be redeemed. And he says, well, I can't do that because I need to be able to make sure my line might be in jeopardy. So I will no longer redeem this. I'm removing myself as the person to redeem Ruth and Naomi's family. And it's interesting, one of the commentaries I read was how interesting it is that this man, this kinsman redeemer, was so worried about continuing his name and continuing his lineage and continuing his family history, and yet the text intentionally doesn't give us his name. We don't know what his name is. We don't know what his lineage is, and we don't know his family history. That by by choosing to hold on to it so tightly, he ended up losing it completely. When we hold on too tightly to our kids to have things the way that we want it, how we want it, and we hold on so tightly that it strangles them out of wanting to know what the relationship with God is that he has for them, if we are too strict or too tough or too legalistic or we say one thing out of our mouths but we do something opposite with our lives, then it can cause that legacy to be lost. And so we see here that Boaz goes before the elders who are there. The man, the kinsman redeemer, the guardian redeemer says, no, I will not redeem it. I cannot make sure, or I cannot lose the ability for me to be able to keep my line going. And then we read here, verses 9 through 12, how Ruth experiences that she needs a redeemer for a new legacy and how Boaz steps up. Verse 9 of Ruth 4. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. Those were her two sons that passed away. I also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are all witnesses." Then the elders in verse 11 and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Then the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman may, sorry, through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. She needed a redeemer and Boaz stepped up paid for it and purchased the property and then also said he was going to build up her family line so that his that so that her family's name would not be lost not be passing away and so we see here as we close the last part of ruth 4 before we move to the next section 
we see how Boaz, through Boaz, they have a child with Ruth, and Naomi's legacy has been renewed. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, not to Ruth, to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel and he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman li women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. That this renewed legacy allowed Naomi to have her name being passed on. And here's why that's important. Because if that legacy didn't get passed on, there'd be a gap in how we see the people in Jesus' genealogy from Matthew chapter 1. That we see that it is through Ruth and it is through this generation that now came Jesus generations and generations later. And so this allowed for her to have new life. It allowed for her legacy to be renewed and to be refreshed and to have a new start on life. And for many of us, when we've given our lives to Jesus, that is something that we were able to have. That we were once... The old is gone and now the new has come and we have new life and there is hope and there is light in that and there is a legacy of faith. And that is beautiful and that shows us that redemption can happen to anyone and everyone because if it happened to Ruth who was a messed up, came from a messed up background with a messed up back, um, uh, country and a messed up belief system and had all these things against her and had the woundedness and the pain of losing a husband and yet still was able to receive redemption that means redemption isn't too far gone for any one of us either. So we look at this idea of the renewed legacy of Naomi and Ruth and to give that background so that we can land on where we're focusing on today, the redemptive legacy. And in your notes, it's the story of Jesus and us, how we fit in to the redemptive legacy that comes through Jesus Christ. Because the story of Naomi and Ruth is powerful on its own. To have a redeemer come in, to be able to have someone to say, no, this person is valuable enough that I'm going to pay out of my own money to buy their land, and I'm going to be able to have kids through them so that their name would be made great. That Boaz embodies this idea of decreasing so that God could increase in his plan in his life. And so we see that it's powerful on its own. But we've talked about this in the first week as well of the series, that there's more to learn for us to learn from this story. That we talked about how we don't have to be products of our past, or we don't have to, or sorry, we don't have to be prisoners to our family past. And Pete Scazzaro says it this way, discipleship then is the putting off of the sinful patterns and habits of our biological families and being transformed to live as members of Christ's family. That when we give our lives to Jesus and we are redeemed by the power of his blood, we are no longer just our own family members. We are people who have been changed by God to make a change in this world. We are not perfect. We're not going to hit the bullseye every time. But just because we don't hit the bullseye every time doesn't mean we stop aiming. We try to long to live the life God has for us. And so we see here that in your notes, again, not only was Ruth's family had brokenness and pain, Jesus' family had brokenness and pain just like ours. Let's read Ruth 4, 18 through 22. Talks about the genealogy of David. This then is the family line of Perez. 
Perez was the father of uh, Hermon, or sorry, um, Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. Again, in the Bible itself, Ruth causes, it's a, it's a little bit of a bridge from the end of Ruth to the beginning of 1 Samuel, which is the story in which David ends up being anointed as king and eventually uh, rises to king. So it shows the, the historical gap that happens, or the bridge, I should say, from Ruth to David. But even more so, it shows how in this genealogy, we see the power of what happens when there's brokenness, and yet God can redeem them all through Jesus's family. Matthew 1, 5 through 6a, we have the same um, one, the same genealogy, but there's a few notable uh, additions that we want to focus on. It says this, that Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Do you notice what the difference is there? That in the Ruth 4 version and in the Matthew 1 version, they both talk about the dads. But in Matthew 1 version, we actually see two moms listed in the genealogy. That in a, in a quote-unquote proper genealogy in the Jewish uh, mindset, you wouldn't have two different groups of people. One, you wouldn't typically put the moms in. Two, you wouldn't have foreign people in there, foreign women specifically, who were highlighted as the moms. In fact, there are four women who are in Jesus' genealogy, and if we were to do a series on those, which would be great at some point, you would see that each of them suffered great brokenness. Each of them was able to find Jesus or find a relationship with the one true God. Each of them was redeemed, and then each of them was used or was able to be part of the genealogy that points to our Savior. That shows us that even when we've been broken, even when we have pain, even when we have heartache, even when we feel like there's no hope, that all of us are included inside the family of God if we receive Jesus as Lord and surrender our lives to him. It's not about being perfect on the outside. It's about leaning on the perfect one in our everyday lives. So, a foreign woman with a difficult past is included, Ruth, among God's people. And this Matthew 1 idea gives us another clue in the text about perhaps why do we think Boaz, we know he's a, he's a great man. He's got well standing. He, he's well respected. Have you ever wondered why it is that maybe Boaz would go out of his way to receive a foreign woman in order to help her to be redeemed? I mean, what's in it for him? Well, if you look at just... Can we pull up Matthew 1, 5, 6a again real quick, please? When we look at that, who was Boaz's mom? Rahab, a foreign woman who was brought in to the belief in the family system of God. His mom experienced a redemptive legacy, and then guess what he gets to do? Pass that redemptive legacy on to the next generation. That because his mom received that and was able to marry someone named Salmon, which is delicious, but he, she was able to be brought in as a foreign person who, and if you don't know the story of Rahab that we see in Joshua 2, when the people, when the Israelites come in to the promised land, that in the land of Jericho, the city of Jericho, there were a couple of spies who went in and they found a place. They found Rahab, who was a woman of the night, if you will, and she was someone that would let them in and said that when that they will basically be a safe place. And then she and her family, because she harbored the spies of the Israelites, when they would come in and destroy the city of Jericho, she knew it was happening. 
And so what she would do is, I'm going to put a, a sign in the window, and please take me and my family. And she was rescued. She was redeemed from destruction and be brought part of the family of God. You and I can be redeemed from destruction to be part and brought into the family of God. And because Rahab experienced that and told the story to Boaz, Boaz is all the more willing to be able to make Ruth part of that story as well. That Jesus' lineage is not littered with perfect people. In fact, we see stories of there are the patriarchs and there are adulterers, there are prostitutes, there were godly kings and wicked kings and politicians and everyone else in between. That they were not perfect people. You know why? Because there's no such thing as perfect families. Even the perfect one, Jesus Christ, came from a family with brokenness and loss and pain and imperfection. And yet, isn't it like God to take that which is broken and imperfect to be made new and redeemed? Because for us, when we think of the word redeemed, or at least for me, I think about, you know, a coupon that is redeemable by the end of this month. Man, this redemption that is offered is, has no expiration date. But it also doesn't mean that we need to wait to give our lives to the Lord until the last possible moment. You can have eternal life now. John 17, 3 talks about that eternal life is knowing God the Father, and the Son whom was sent by him. That can happen today. Eternity isn't when we die. Eternity starts now, and then it continues on until we truly know what it means to live. And so we see that Jesus' family had this brokenness and pain just like ours. And Boaz gets to perpetuate a redemptive legacy because he saw it in his mom's life. Now he gets to see it in his wife's life. And if he had the sight to be able to see down, which he didn't, but he would then be able to see that it would happen in each and every one of lives through the blood of Jesus, that we can now put aside our sinful patterns of our families and that we could be made new and we could become part of Jesus' family who are not perfect people, but who are people who have been and are still being changed by God to make a change in this world. Now, lastly, in our notes, Jesus Ruth needed a redeemer. Jesus is our redeemer, and he's given us a new legacy. That again, Ruth came from a messed up culture and was still included in Jesus' lineage. Even those of us from the most messed up of family situations growing up, of brokenness and abuse and wounds that we dare not speak because we've tried to hide them or, or been able to try to process through them, and it's so hard to even come to the realization that that was our lives. Whoever you may be, whatever background you may have experienced, you are not too far gone, and God has not given up on you. We see here that... Romans 3.23, we, we know the Romans wrote, many of us have grown up in church, we, we all can quote, for the wages of sin is death. And we finish at verse 23, and we don't always continue on to what 24 says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sorry, I was thinking Romans 6.23, but it's okay. Uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That Jesus, like Boaz, had to pay the price in order to make sure that we could be redeemed. Jesus paid the price. In fact, he paid it all so that we could be redeemed. And he brought us into his family. And we become his bride just as Ruth became Boaz's bride. 
And we get to see this beautiful picture that he redeemed us and can redeem each and every one of you if you haven't trusted him with your life yet. We see this thought furthered on in Paul in Galatians chapter 4 when he says this, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship, because you are his sons. God sent the, son, the spirit of the son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. Since you're his child, he's made you also an heir. See, we can see the story of, of Ruth and, and Boaz and Naomi and how that's renewed. And our families may have been renewed by the blood of Jesus. And if we live towards that target, even if we miss, we could still have life and life everlasting. But if we're talking about what the bullseye is, what is the hope and the goal is to be able to find a way in order to make sure that other people in our family, our kids, our grandkids can know the redemptive legacy that no matter what happens, you are never too far gone. That no matter what happens, you can be redeemed. No matter how dirty or, or messed up or what struggle you have, like the prodigal son, when you come back, the father's arms are open wide. That the dirt and the mud and the muck and the rock bottom is not the end of our story. It's usually the beginning of God's glory in our lives. And so one of the ways that we could do this is make sure that, like Matt Emmons, is we, we line up the bullseye and we try to set our target. And even if we miss, we try, but even if we miss, then at least we're aiming towards the right target. I want to share another story with you as we close this morning. I mentioned to you that Matt Emmons was someone that had been in multiple Olympics. In fact, 2008, when he shot and um, the target was a little too high and he got a 4.4 and ended up losing the gold medal, that wasn't his first Olympics. In fact, he was in the 2004 Olympics, and that time where he messed up wasn't even the first time he messed up. In fact, in 2004, he was in the same the same, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Same event, the three-position event. And in the final part of the last event, he only needed a mediocre score in order to get the gold medal. He had built up a big lead, and he goes and he lines up, he shoots, hits the target, he shoots, hits the target, puts his gun down, he shot at the wrong target. So he got a zero. He went from the gold medal position to eighth and it's his heartbreak that we see and it's called a crossfire and so he went from the gold medal to eighth place and it goes to show us that we can still hit the bullseye but if we're aiming at the wrong target we're still not going to win we're still not going to achieve that which God has for us and so if our target if our goal if we have the right target and like his 2008 version we end up just missing well at least we're going towards the right target but if we end up pointing to the wrong target in our families and we miss the mark. We might say, oh, I hit what I wanted to do, but if it's the wrong target, we can still miss out on everything God has for us. Francis and Lisa Chan in their book, uh, You and Me Forever, talks about what might be, what's an example of a target that Christian families may aim as the bullseye, as the target, but yet woefully miss what God has for them. And she, they put it this way. In this battle, he has given us a clear mission to make disciples. 
Yet Christian couples can most typically be found holding hands and skipping through life, ignoring the battle that rages around them. Listen here. We have made happy families our mission, or in this case, our target. That is not the mission that Jesus gave us. But we try to justify the idolizing of marriage because it's what we want. So what's the wrong target that many of us may aim for? That we could still say, oh my goodness, we have a happy family. God's desire for our family. Can we have happiness? Yes, that's possible. But what did we say during our marriage week a couple weeks ago? That if happiness is our target, if we set our sights on that, we'll miss but if Christ-likeness is our target, we can have both. So it's setting our sights on the right target. Because one of the saddest things that can happen is for us to be excellent and succeed in things that don't matter as much as the most important things. That having a happy family is important. We don't want families that you know, exude sorrow rather than the joy of the Lord. We don't want families that are rife with strife and with conflict and anger and brokenness and separation. But if our goal is only to have a happy family, let everyone just be happy with each other, it's going to be great. If happiness is our goal, we can hit the target. And it could be the wrong target. If Christ-likeness is our goal, if when we line things up and we say, decide that lead, living towards the target is leading our families towards Jesus, towards Christ-likeness, that's the target. But, and being able to then leave a legacy that gets passed on, that is the bullseye. Now, just to because now we feel really bad for Matt Emmons, and, and I know I do. So I just want to give you a context. Um, just so you know, he ended up going back to the London Olympics. He went into the same event, and he was able to medal. He didn't get the gold. He got gold in other events, and so it's not like he's goldless, um, you know, like the rest of us. But, um, he, uh, but here's, here's the silver lining in the midst of it, or the eighth place lining. I don't know, silver medal. Um, the line, silver lining of it is if we show the picture, we, we don't have to show it now, but the picture we showed earlier of his wife consoling him uh, after the 2008 Olympics, they met because she was a fellow shooter in the Olympics in 2004, and she went to go console him in the midst of his brokenness. And so even out of the moment of great disparity and great pain, he was able to find hope. He said this, had I not made that mistake referring to shooting at the wrong target, maybe I retire from shooting, maybe I don't marry Katie, his wife. Emmons said, he said, I wouldn't change a thing. How many of us could look at our failures, whether very, very public and global or very, very private, how many of us could look at our failures, look at our brokenness, look at those mistakes and say, you know what? I wish it didn't happen. I mean, it'd be nice if it didn't, but through that, God had brought redemption out of brokenness. He brought the Emmons family together out of the darkest moment, or, or at least professionally, the darkest moment um, in Matt's life. That he could bring hope and redemption out of the darkest moments, the biggest wounds, and the greatest heartaches in our lives. Why? Because that's what he does. He takes that which is broken and makes it new. He takes that which is filled with death and, and despair like Good Friday and makes Easter Sunday with hope and life. He takes someone with a messed up background like Ruth and, and allows a redeemer to bring her into the family of God to be part of Jesus' genealogy. 
So he could do that with us if we come from a messed up background, that he could bring us into the family of God and he could redeem us to be part of a redemptive legacy. And so as we close, some of you in this room or listening online, you, you're, look, you're listening to this and again, kind of like with our series throughout, you're thinking, listen, I get what you're trying to say, but I don't have kids or, or my kids are out of the home, I don't talk to them anymore, or there's brokenness there, or what have you. And, and if that's you, then just to encourage you with a couple of things. One, if you don't have kids, and you, but you have nieces and nephews or grandkids, then help them to learn the redemptive legacy of Jesus. Help them to know what it's like to, to aim towards living towards the target and share their the wealth of what God has done in your life to the next generation in the same way that Rahab did to Boaz so that Boaz could share with Ruth so that Ruth could be part of Jesus' story. Some of you, maybe you have, um, some of you, you don't have kids and, and you, you have family, but you're still, there's still difficulty there. Well, then let me introduce you to this beautiful thing that someone shared with me before. Um, this idea that when it comes to our, our kids, God doesn't have any grandkids. Why is that? Well, because he has kids, and then his, the kids of his kids are still his kids. God doesn't have grandkids. But it gives us a picture of the spiritual family here. And if some of you don't have kids of your own, maybe it's something in which God can put, has put upon your heart someone in a spiritual family. As Paul was a father to Timothy in the New Testament, you can be a father or a mother or like a spiritual guidance and you can come along and you can invest in the next generation. Even if they're not from your bloodline, we're all from the bloodline of Christ and so guess what? It still counts. And it's powerful. Some of the people who've impacted our lives are people who weren't related to us by flesh and blood, but related to us by Jesus' blood. You have that ability to pass that redemptive legacy on as well. So this message is for all of us, both to be recipients of this legacy and to be those who share this legacy to the next generation, and the generation after that, the generation after that, and so on. If we do that, that is the bullseye. Father, we thank you so much for who you are, and we pray, Lord, that as we are um, concluding our uh, series about families, and there's been a lot of dynamics and things to wrestle with. Some of these messages have been easier for us than others. Some of them have all been tough, and God, I thank you that you bring redemption. I thank you that we know that our stories are not over with our brokenness, but Lord, you can renew us, you can redeem us, you can make us new and bring us into your family. God, I pray for everyone who hears my voice to feel, if nothing else, hope. Hope that, that you are not done with them and that no matter what our past looks like, you can make something new and beautiful out of it. I pray, Lord, that we would see your heart, God, to be able to know how much you love us, and if we heard nothing else, we would know your hope this morning. I pray that we would also know your love this morning and how deep your love is for each and every person and how the heart of God is something we should hold fast to and cling to and look forward to, not looking back on our past, but fixing our eyes on the author and perfecter of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So Lord, heal us, work in us and through us, and help us to both be 
products now of our redemptive legacy through you, Jesus, because you are our redeemer. May we be products of that legacy and may we share that so that people can be, who are far from God may be brought near to you and that they can be part of the redemptive legacy as well. No matter how far gone they feel, may they have the hope and the love to know that Jesus came so that we all might be called children of God. It's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. So as we close this series, as we close this service, uh, just know that if, if you would like prayer for anything, whether it's family-related or not, um, I would love to be up here and be able to pray with you and for you. And, and for those of us who might feel guilt or shame or pain and recognize how maybe we've made mistakes in the past and we've, we've fallen short of the bullseye, so how can we move forward and how can we live this life towards the target? Let me encourage you that no matter what's gone on in the past, we can acknowledge it, we can ask for forgiveness, we can ask for healing, we can, we can ask that God would make it whole. But if we spend so much time looking back on the past, then we're missing what's in front of us. And if we will never be able to hit the target if we're always looking behind us. And so finding healing and life out of brokenness, if that's you, I would love to pray with you. But know that God loves you deeply. And it's evidenced by the fact that Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, and was raised to new life so that we could be redeemed, be brought into his family and experience eternal life and the redemptive legacy he has for us. We are so glad that you're here with us. We can't wait to start our new series with you next week. We hope to see you next Sunday. Have a blessed week. God bless you all, and we'll see you next week.